Thank you, Sam. Well, good morning, church. As, as Sam said, my name is Timothy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. I'm grateful to be with you this morning, excited to open up God's Word together. Uh, this morning we are continuing in our ser sermon series entitled, Who We Are. Uh, as Daniel mentioned last week, if you were here, uh, as we approach our 10-year anniversary, we felt like it was the perfect time to bring some, some clarity to that all-important question, who are we? Uh, who is Christ Central Church? And so over the past year and some change, the leaders of this church have worked hard to come up with a new identity statement that we believe truly personifies who we are as a church. So I'm going to share that with you again this week. Hopefully as we go through this series, it kind of begins to sink in more uh, and becomes uh, familiar to you. So this is our identity statement. We are a community of people called to rest in Christ as we live for the renewal of all things in the city for the world. And last week, uh, Daniel kicked off the series by talking about the fact that we are a community of people, a, a diverse group of people united and unified in and through Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to be looking at at part two of that statement, we are called. We'll be looking at how our identity as a church is rooted in a very specific calling. And so our scripture this morning comes from First Peter. We're going to be in chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 9 and 10. As is our custom here at Christ Central, if you're able, would you please stand as we give reverence to God's word. <clears throat> So again, 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll be reading verses 9 and 10. This is God's word. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received his mercy. The prophet Isaiah says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We believe your word is true. And I ask, Lord, that you would speak through your word to us, your people, this morning. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. A few years ago, I got an email from Pastor Daniel in which he informed me that he was in some serious trouble. I think maybe his car had broken down or his house caught on fire. I can't remember the details, but it was real bad. Um, and in the email, he informed me that I needed to go to the store ASAP and get him some Amazon gift cards <laughs> because somehow the Amazon gift cards were going to fix his car or, or stop the fire at his house. He also said in the email that he was in an important meeting and could not be bothered with a phone call. And then the kicker, around all this is that I actually knew for the fact that Daniel wasn't in a meeting because I could see him. He was sitting in the office right next to me. 
the email was, was a scam, and it's a pretty common scam now. But when this scam first came out, it, it was pretty convincing. And I can remember for a split second thinking, boss is in trouble. I need to go get some Amazon gift cards, and now. And I think my instincts were right because uh, when someone who is in authority, someone that you respect and, and care for, calls on you, the natural response is to answer the call. For example, if, if, if President Joe Biden called my cell phone, regardless of my view on his politics, I, I would drop whatever I was doing and I would, I would answer the call because the, the president deserves such a response. Church, what our, our text and the whole Bible for that matter reveals is that you and I have been called. Not by the President of the United States, but by the God of the universe. And God's call on your life and on my life, it has monumental implications on your life, on my life, and on this church. And it's those implications of that calling that I want us to examine together today. I have two points this morning. First, what is the significance of our calling? And then second, what is the substance of our calling? So let's begin first with the significance of our calling. And I know this may sound somewhat counterintuitive, but in order to showcase the significance of our calling, I want to begin by highlighting for you what it would mean for us to be a church that is not called by God. What would that look like? I.e., what is the inverse of, of being called by God? And what that would mean is if we were a church that was not called by God is that we would instead be an organization created by well-meaning people who wanted to do something significant with their lives and to, to make a difference in the world. To not be called by God would mean we are simply the manifestation of, of some good ideas by some relatively good people. And don't get me wrong, there, there are countless wonderful organizations for whom that narrative fits, but that narrative cannot and does not fit for Christ Central Church. And here's why. I want you to look with me again at our text. The, the context of First Peter is that Peter is writing to what he says in verse 1, are elect exiles, meaning that he is writing to little churches that have, have been scattered because of persecution. And, and this is what he says to these little churches. He says, verse 9, you are a chosen race, a people, a, a church for God's own possession. You're owned by God. Verse 10, once you were not a people, not a church, and now you are God's people. You are God's church. And here's the, the kicker, how that transformation happened. That's what he shows us here in, in verse 9. Peter says, it happened not as a result of something that you did, but rather as a result of God calling you out. We're going to get into the substance of that calling in a minute, but the, the big point that we need to see right off the bat is that the genesis of the church is the call of God. What Peter is doing here for these churches is he's reminding them of where they came from, of their origin stories, if you will. We've been talking a lot about the origin of Christ Central over the past few months as we prepare for this celebration. The, the, Christ Central, our origin story is the same 
When we say that we are a church of Jesus Christ, we are necessarily saying that we exist not as a man-made institution, but rather than we are an entity that is called into existence by the Almighty God. So what? What's the significance of, of being called versus being something man-made? And first and foremost, what it means is that if God is the author, then we must in turn submit to his authorship. To be called by God means that we are in the position of submission, meaning that our identity, our purpose, our mission, our values all must come from God. And that can be tricky because God's design and, and his plan for his church, it doesn't always fit well with the identity and, and purpose and mission and values of the culture. And yet, to be called means that we are a part of Christ's church, not our church. And therefore, we must submit to his plans and, and his purpose, which is a far cry from, from being an organization put forth by some good people who want to do good things in the world. When we identify ourselves as, as one who has been called by God, we are asserting that we are part of something far bigger than ourselves, that, that we have been commissioned by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to play a small part in this worldwide eternal redemption story. How awesome is that? What a privilege to be called. That's the significance of our calling now let's look now at the substance. What is it, what exactly is the substance of this calling? And what we see in our text is that the calling really has two components to it. Within our calling, there is both a promise and a command. And we'll get back to this in a minute, but the order is significant. We must first look at the promise. Verse 9, our calling is out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Uh, in my new role as executive pastor here, I've gotten to be a part of multiple hires over the past year or so. And as a result, I've looked at a lot of resumes. And you, when you look at a resume, you're trying to determine if this person has, has the skills that are needed and required to perform the job well. And if, if, if they do, then we will call them to that position. Well, Interestingly enough, what we see throughout Scripture is that, that God, it's his desire, his will to call people to himself. He's, he's inviting people onto his team to be his people. And, and what verse 9 reveals is this, this is the resume of those people that God is calling. These are the skills that they bring to the table. And what it says, this, this is what defines the people that God calls is that they are in darkness. Now, I haven't been an, exec an executive very long, but I know that's not the type of person you're looking for, one who is in darkness. And what does that mean? What does it mean to, to be in darkness? And, and, and I think it's important for us here to interpret Scripture with Scripture. When Peter talks about these people being in darkness, I, I think he's definitely look, looking back to, along with other things, to, to the story of Lazarus. If you remember Lazarus, he's a friend of Jesus who, who dies before Jesus arrives. And, and he's then in the tomb, pitch black, 100% dead. He's no good to anybody or anything. And it's from that dark place that, that Jesus calls Lazarus out. Out of the dark tomb and into the light of life. 
Paul says something very similar in Ephesians 2 when he talks about our status. He says we, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. The prophet Ezekiel, he uses an even darker metaphor. When he, when he looks at God's people, he, he describes them as, as a valley full of skeletons, of dried up bones. That's the darkness that we are in because of sin. Lifeless, powerless, in need of rescue. And the call of God is, is out of that state, out of death, and, and into the marvelous light of new life in Christ. And so when we think about what is, it, what is, what is on the resume, what do the people bring to the table, what do we bring to the table, what do we bring to the team that God is putting together, and the, the answer is nothing. Jonathan Edwards once said, the only thing that we contribute to our own salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. We, pro pro we bring a profound unworthiness to the table. And yet verse 9 boldly proclaims that God has called us anyway, just the same. And church, church this is the truth that, that fundamentally defines us both individually and corporately, that this is who we are. Those who were dead in our sin with nothing to offer and utterly in need of God's rescue but now who have been called out, out of the darkness and into the light. And I'd like to take a moment here and ask a question. I wonder, is, is God calling you to himself this morning? I have to imagine there are people sitting in this room right now, people watching online who would not identify as a follower of Christ. And yet you're here, which begs the question, is God in pursuit of you? Is he calling you out of the darkness into his marvelous light? If that's where you're at this morning, I just would love for you to know that, that we would love to talk with you about what it looks like, what it might mean for you to respond to that call. So if that's where you're at, please don't hesitate to reach out. Love to have that conversation with you. And for those of us who would identify as Christian, I, I hope and pray that this, this truth can stir us up by way of reminder. What would it mean for us to ponder anew what this truth means for you and me? What a gift. We were helpless, lost, doomed, but God came to our rescue. And that rescue should be the most defining thing about you and me, and it should be the most defining thing about this church. That's the promise, that we have been called out, and as a result, we are now and forever set apart as children of God. Now, I don't want to belabor what was said last week, but I do think we need to think for a minute what would it look like to read this text, not through our Western individualistic lens. I'm super grateful to author, theologian, Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove, who lives here in Durham, and, and he's helped me to understand the Bible better. And one of the ways he's done that is, is to show me and others how most of the yous, the word you in the Bible, are actually y'alls. He's from around here. What, what he's saying is that we can often inappropriately read the you as, as you singular, as, as if it's about me, but it's actually you plural, y'all. It's about us. 
And it may seem like a, a small distinction, but it's amazing how that can change the overall meaning of the text. For example, Peter is saying, not you singular, but y'all are a chosen race. Y'all are a royal priesthood. Y'all are a holy nation. Together in unity, you make up a people for God's own possession. And the point is that, that this calling necessarily includes the person next to you and in front of you and behind you. And unless we are responding to this call as one, we are missing the point. Now, not only does this calling present us with a promise, it, it also includes a command. And that command is, is to those who have been brought out into the light, that we are to be a light to the world. Look again at, at verse 9. It says, not only are we a chosen race, which highlights our status, but, but also a royal priesthood, which highlights the job that we have to do. And what is the role of the priest? Well, the priest is in charge of worship. The priest lives to bless the name of the Lord. Or to use Peter's words, the priest lives to proclaim the excellencies of him, of God. You see, the, the telos of the priest is the same telos of, of the triune God. And that is that the whole earth would be filled with worshipers. That all creation would glorify the name of God. And remember, I said the order matters this command necessarily comes to those who, past tense, have been called out of the darkness and into the light. It doesn't take a, a genius to recognize that someone who's still in the darkness has, has no ability to be a light to the world. But for those who have been brought out, we are given the light of Christ and called to shine that light in a dark world. Jesus says it this way in, in Matthew 5. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I have a close friend who's in recovery right now. He's been fighting hard for his recovery for quite some time because... Fighting addiction is never easy. A few weeks ago, he shared with me this pretty awesome news. He, he told me that uh, he's been asked to consider coming on staff at the recovery program that he's a part of. It's pretty amazing. And the reason why they asked him to consider this role is because they recognize that my friend understands how dark the darkness can be. And at the same time is, is one who is profoundly grateful for the gift of light. And because of that, my friend has, has a unique ability to share that light with some people who are still in the darkness. Church, this is the trajectory of God's call on our lives. He calls us so we can in turn call others. That's what Paul's getting at in, in 2 Corinthians 5 when he talks about how those who have been reconciled to God are now called to be his ambassadors. We see this plan beginning all the way back in, in Genesis 12 when God calls Abram and, and he tells Abram that he's going to bless him in order to be a blessing to the nations. This command 
It, it comes with this promise. We're called to go as ambassadors out of these four walls and to invite others to join us in calling on the name of the Lord. And our calling is not complete until God's glory covers the earth as the water covers the sea. I want to conclude by answering one final question, and that is the, the why me? Why us? Why would God call on you and me? Why would God call this church, Christ Central Church? We've already talked about our resume is not very good. Did, did God make a mistake when he chose us? Now, the good news for you, for me, is that I, I, I'm pretty sure these elect exiles that Peter is talking to, they're asking the same question. And it's because of these feelings of doubt and unworthiness that Peter says what he does in verse 10. He says, once you were not the people of God, but now you are God's people. And it's important to note that that phrase, this beautiful poetic phrase, it, it doesn't belong to Peter. He's, he's borrowing from the prophet Hosea. And when you understand what's going on in Hosea, I think you understand the answer to the question, why me? And one of the things that's, that's helped me to understand the book of Hosea is reading the book Redeeming Love by, by Francine Rivers. I'm pretty sure this was the first book that I ever read that made me cry. Uh, not like a few tears, but like snot-flowing, ugly cry. And what Rivers does is she takes the first three chapters of the book of Hosea and she retells the story, but set in California in the 1850s. And, and the main character is a girl named Angel who was sold into prostitution as a child. And as a result, she has nothing but hatred and, and fear for, for men. And then along comes this man, Michael Hosea. And he's called by God to, to marry Angel and to love her unconditionally. And, and he pursues Angel's heart and, and he comes after her. And, and yet her feelings of shame and unworthiness, they, they cause Angel to, to hide, to run, to go back to her old way of life over and over again. But Michael refuses to give up and he chases after her. And again and again he comes to her until finally she breaks. And she begins to receive Michael's love, and, and she allows herself to be loved by him. And the point that the prophet Hosea is, is trying to make that, that, that Rivers is, is, is riffing on is that we are the unfaithful woman. We are the ones called not my people, but because of God's calling and pursuit, we now have a new identity and a new name, the people of God. And the story of the Bible is God's pursuit of us, trying to convince you and me over and over again to receive this new name, the people of God. But, but the book of Hosea, it, it's even more provocative than that. Not only are we invited to identify as the people of God, the prophet says that we now get to call God my husband. And the, the weightiness and significance of that is humongous. God is declaring that he is wedding himself to us, his bride, the church, inviting us into the most intimate of relationships with him. That's the answer to why God calls you, why God calls me. It's because he loves you. And this strange thing that we see in the scriptures, Deuteronomy 
7 says it plainly, is that God sets his love on whomever he pleases. Not because we deserve it, but simply because, verse 9, God has chosen you. He chose you, and he delights in you. And although we will never fully wrap our minds around that, it's too good to be true. As Christians, we must sit in the mystery of that reality and allow that truth to blow our minds and to warm our hearts. The God of the universe called on me, called on you, called us because he loves us. And, he is cho- and, and as his chosen, beloved children, he is sending us out to love, to serve, to bless, so that more will be brought in, so that together we can proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Church, that's the good news of the gospel. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for calling us. We know we do not deserve it. And it's impossible to comprehend why you, the God of the universe, would choose to love us. But Father, would we more and more each day believe it, that it's actually true, that you chose us, that you called on us, that you called this church And Lord, now we receive this commission to, as your beloved, join with you in this mission to redeem the world. Thank you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.